So I'm going to be reading a little bit later from Psalm 42. So if anyone likes following along in their Bibles, you can prep Psalm 42. Um, But when David asked me to step in to speak this morning due to him being unwell, I kept thinking about all the times, like the times that we're experiencing at the moment. So, and the, the effect that that's having on people, not just within Logan and within Brisbane, but all around the world. Um, we're, we're traversing uncharted waters, particularly uncharted in modern years anyway. This isn't the first crisis the world has seen. It's not going to be the last crisis the world sees either. But this is the first of this magnitude that we're seeing in modern years. And it's affecting socially and economically and politically. It's, it's having impacts on us. We're in crazy times. Um, and I completed a subject in my, in my ministry subjects last semester on church history. And I was studying through several of the key characters over history. And I was reminded of how much an impact that, um, that Martin Luther's preference, preface to the epistle to the Romans was on so many people in the early church. And it had such a huge impact. So when I finished my subject, I chose that I was going to do some reading through the book of Romans as well. Um, And I can encourage anyone that hasn't read through the book of Romans to read through the book of Romans because there is a lot of really good stuff in there that you can dig your teeth in and really get a lot of good stuff from God out of. But I found myself, when I was thinking back, over that, our troubles that we're facing at the moment. I had a very difficult period a few weeks ago that was a real struggle for me. And, but I found myself at the same time reading through Romans chapter 15 and a verse stuck in my mind and it was Romans 15, 13 and it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, This stuck in my mind, not necessarily because it's a revolutionary, game-changing verse. There are definitely other verses in the book of Romans that are that. But I think it stuck in my mind because I wasn't feeling that at the time. I wasn't feeling that. All joy and peace and abounding with hope is not what I felt then. And that's why it stuck in my head. Uh, One of my top ten favourite movies of all time is The Shawshank Redemption. And a, favorite, and, a, and a line in there is, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. There can always be hope. But what is hope? Hope is a word I think we all too frequently use today, and then it loses its significance and power, so that when we read it in Scripture, like this particular verse in Romans 15, we skim over it quickly, and it doesn't have the same significance to us because we use it a lot. Now, the dictionary defines hope as being a noun and a verb. So as a noun, it's the feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out to the best. A personal thing which expectations are centred on, our hope. As a verb, it's to look forward with desire and reasonable confidence, to believe, to desire, to trust, to feel that something desired may happen. You see, hope is... Confident expectation. It's not wishful thinking. And sometimes we hang the wishful thinking meaning on the word hope. And hope starts to lose significance. And then our hope becomes in vain because it's wishful thinking, not confident expectation. But hope is such an important aspect of the Bible. 
Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that if every, after everything is boiled down, only these three things remain, and one is faith, one is love, and one is hope. Hope is very important. Why? Why is hope so important? Because we live in a hopeless world. We live in a world that's surrounded with hopelessness. And that might sound harsh, but it's true. Can anyone tell me what the absence of hope is? Despair. And in fact, that's exactly how the definition is. Despair is the absence of hope, is despair. And if we look around our world today, we do not have to look far to see people that are despairing in desperate times, in our jobs, in our schools, in our universities, on the bus, on the plane, if we're lucky enough to get a flight these days, in the queue at the registers, although 1.5 metres away, but we still have queues and... But there are despairing people everywhere we go. So this morning I'll be sharing to you about hope for the hopeless. And I want to begin from looking at this passage in Psalm 42. And some of you may actually be familiar with this because there's a couple of songs that we sing that come directly out of this psalm. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the God For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become so disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon and Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So we can see here that David is placing his hope in God, but we also see there is despair. His very soul is crying out to God in despair. His enemies are surrounding him at all sides, mocking him, saying, where is your God that you serve? He is despairing. Despair is described as being the absence of hope. Now, this is a big, the big thing I take away from this passage is that King David, in all of his power and in all of his wealth and in all of his prosperity and his closeness to God, found himself in a time of despair. So, this is the same King David who we hear about in. Uh, Psalm 119, who writes the the statutes of God upon his heart so he might not sin against God. And that every day and every night he, he meditates 
on the scriptures so that he may better align himself with God. The same man is experiencing despair. You see, I view that as a warning for myself because just because I believe in God the Father and what his son did for me on the cross, hopelessness and despair is still not impossible to me. Even as a Christian. For, the, for those of you who might know, for the, for the last decade I've worked with um, children and young people that have, reside in residential care because they can't live with their, their families because they've been removed for various reasons. And a lot of the young people that I work with suffer from hopelessness. So I work with hopelessness on a regular basis. And you can see it when you, when you work with these kids. You can see the, the lack of life and light in their eyes because of the experiences they had. And I can think of one young person particularly that I worked with in Townsville who was, was really struggling with life. And every day was, was, was a chore and every day was something really hard and to the point where he regularly came to the point where he wanted to end his life. And that was a, a daily or a weekly thing that we were working with at that time. And it really struck me that, that hopelessness is there. I know that hopelessness was in that young person's life because I was invested in that young person's life. But all the other people that I brushed shoulders with may just have as much hopelessness as that person, but I don't know because I'm not as invested in them. But I can guarantee you that there is hopelessness there. So how do we lose our hope? So how do we, how do we become despairing? How do we find ourselves in these despairing situations? Take a drink first. Now there's three, three steps that I want to highlight on how this happens. Firstly, it starts with expectation. So we make expectations on how something should happen or how something or how a particular outcome should be. For example, you know, I might expect to get an A on my assignment that I'm submitting because I've put a lot of time and effort into it. I expect to get an A. That's an expectation I have. But then your expectation meets a limitation. Something happens that thwarts or minimises what you've expected to happen. Um, for example, you misinterpreted the parameters of the assignment and the assignment you submitted actually only hit two out of the five selection criteria for that particular assignment and you failed. So your expectations of getting an A were thwarted because of something that actually limited that expectation. And then lastly, the third thing is we then, when, you, when your thwarted and unmet expectations happen, you then make conclusions based on those limited expectations. For example, oh, I don't even know why I'm doing this course. I'm not going to get an A ever, and then you drop out. So that is a classic example of how your expectation becomes limited, and then you make a conclusion, and then you act upon said conclusion for a solution. You know, I have an expectation that people are going to stay awake through this sermon. It may be harder for those actually watching from home and they're laying in bed watching it. So God bless you. I hope that you will stay awake through the whole sermon. Um, I might be limited. My, my, my expectation may be limited. And then I might start making conclusions that maybe I should just stop preaching and go home. Hopefully we won't get to that point this morning. 
But King David in this passage in Psalm 42 had expectations. He had an expectation that God would protect him and deliver him from his enemies. And we have sung songs about God doing just that. So he had an expectation that God would protect him and deliver him. His expectations were limited. He was chased by his enemies. He was surrounded by his enemies. His enemies stood in front of him, mocking him and the God that he served. Where can, my, where can my help come from? My soul is so downcast. My soul cries out to you. Why do they ridicule you? Have you forgotten me, God? This was David in despair. His, his expectations of deliverance were being limited by his situation. In the conclusion, his, God, his, his soul was despairing. He was starting to question, has God actually forgotten me? You see, God did not intend us to live like that. Hopelessness, doubt, fear, anxiety. God didn't intend us to live like that. You know who does want us to live like that? Satan. Satan wants us to live like that because Satan's got all of those things. He's got doubts, he's got fears, he's got anxieties, he's got hopelessness. The battle's already won. Satan wants us to live like that because that's how Satan lives. God didn't want us to live like that. Some of you might be familiar with the term midlife crisis. And well, midlife crisis start in the late 30s and I'm hitting that year right now. Late 30s to late 40s is usually the time a midlife crisis happens. That's a really bad name for what we call it, a midlife crisis. It's this quasi-psychological term that came up in the late 1900s. But what it really is, it's a despairing person. It's someone who is despairing. They look back over their lives to the first 38 to 40 years of their life and they start making conclusions based on how their life was limited and they come to a point of despair. Their career wasn't as fulfilling as they wanted it to be or how they expected their career to be. Their marriage wasn't as successful or or fruitatious as they wanted their marriage to be. Their children didn't turn out as successful as they were hoping they would. The house and the possessions that they have wasn't as grand as what they expected when they left high school. And so they look back on their life and they start to make conclusions based on their limitations. And they start to despair. They start to despair. So Christians and non-Christians alike fall into the same trap then of having false hope. So we get, to the, we get to the expectations. We see that they're limited. We can't change the fact that those expectations were limited. We can change the conclusions that we come to and then the solutions that we go to to fix it. You see, everyone wants to fix it. Even society wants to fix the problem. Society will give you many options to fix it. But God has solutions as well. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing. But we might think we have other things that give us joy. You know, I enjoy playing computer games. I enjoy playing board games with my friends. Um, Maybe you can think of things that give you joy or give you peace. I like playing a good old game of golf from time to time, but I haven't been able to play golf for 10 years. Just haven't had time. But these short things, they never last for long. 
You see, we're surrounded by materialistic things that provide momentary fixes of joy. That we become so fixated on them that they then become the hope. We go back to the, the despairing man or the despairing woman in her midlife crisis. I'll just get a new car. That'll make my life feel more joyous. I'll go get a career change. That'll make my life better. I'll do something else. I'll get another spouse. This one didn't turn out the way that I wanted. Surely I deserve a little bit more satisfaction in life. I will find someone else and that will fix this problem. And we see it time and time again, these things happening in society. Because they've placed their hope in those things. My hope is in my job. My hope is in my spouse or my family. My hope is in my grades. My hope is in my friends. My hope is in my belongings, in my car, in my house. But when we do that, what we're actually doing is idolatry. We're placing our hope in the gifts of God rather than in God himself. And as they say in Romans 1, we've exchanged the incorruptible God for the corruptible image. We've exchanged what we knew to be true about God for a lie. And it doesn't give us hope. And the hopelessness can be seen in their devastation when that thing that they're hoping in is taken away. They total their car. Their house gets burnt down. Their spouse leaves. They fail those tests. They drop out of uni. And the despair that comes and the devastation that they find themselves in because they've placed all of their hope in these things wasn't meant to last. You see, Satan wants to dangle so many of supplementary activities to keep us in a lie that what we're doing will give us hope. Gambling, alcohol, drugs, pornography, affairs, extreme sports, all of these things that will fix it and it takes you off the real thing that we should be focusing on and that is may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. The young person I was talking about earlier, he had an expectation that his mother and father would care and love him as a son. His expectations were limited by having abusive and neglectful parents. He got into drugs and alcohol and fornication and fighting in the hope that these momentary joys and fixes were going to fix it for him. And then two, three years of that type of behaviour, he realised that he came to the conclusion that life's not worth living. What's the point? I am unwanted and I am unloved and I'm uncared about. What is the point to live? And he has come to the right conclusion. Life isn't meant to be lived like that. Something is wrong in that picture, but he has come to the wrong solution in wanting to end his life. Do you know who the saddest people in the world are? And I'm not meaning sad as bad, I'm meaning sad as sad. Compromising Christians. Compromising Christians are the saddest people in the world. You see, they have too much of Christ to be happy in the world, in the world around them, but they have too much of the world to be happy in Christ. And it's this paradox that they can't get out of and everything they do they seem to fail at. And it's just not good enough. And they try and they try and they try and they keep failing because they've compromised. You see, we as Christians need to be very careful about placing false hope. 
I'm not saying that a job is bad or a spouse is bad, that a family is bad, but we need to be careful that they don't become our hope. They don't, we don't become so entwined in that that we can't separate ourselves from those things so that everything depends on us having it. A rich young ruler came to Jesus having kept all of the commandments. Yeah, he was the only person who went away from a meeting with Jesus sad and upset because his wealth had become his hope. And when Jesus said that you would have to give up all of that and give to the poor, he went away sad. He was reluctant to part with it. As Christians placing our hope in the things around us, God views that as being double-minded. Jesus refers to it as being lukewarm. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot get hope from two masters. But there is hope. There is hope. King David hoped in the Lord. Although his expectations were limited, his heart was in despair. David chose his solution to hope in God. I will praise him even though. I will praise him in this moment. I will praise him no matter all of the things that are going wrong. I will praise him for he is my rock. He is my refuge. He is my strong tower. In another part of the Psalms, it's like, I look to the hills and where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He hoped in the Lord. He despaired. He had limitations. He had expectations. But he chose to hope in God. It was a conscious choice for David. And it's a conscious choice for you and I to hope in God, to place our hope in him and in him alone. So not only do we have access to this hope, but we're actually supposed to be messengers of this hope to the world around us. We should be full at all hope at all times. This, this verse says abounding in hope. That's more hope than you know what to do with. It's coming, it's bursting at the seams. When they look at you, they see someone who is hopeful. Someone who has something and says, I want what that person's got. That person has the hope of the Lord with all joy and peace because they believe. We need to be hopeful even in our tough times. In Romans 5, 3 to 5. And not only that, but we should glory in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character produces hope. And now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in your hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That is the hope that lives inside of each and every believer. And that is the hope that people need to see when they look at us. We're going to rub shoulders with a lot of people that are in a lot of despair right now and they need to know that there's someone that has hope because of the hope that's been entrusted in their hearts when they believe. At the time that I was working with this young person um, several years ago, um, I started getting really challenged around these young people living without hope. And you could see it in their eyes and... I was having particularly stressful and low day at one point and our, our small group that I was in in Townsville was going through the book of Colossians at the time. And there was a particular passage that kind of that struck me that God tried to use to teach me a lesson. Um, it was in Colossians 1, chapter, uh, verse 3. It says, We give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ 
praying always for you, since that we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love of all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up in you in heaven, laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it also is in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. Now, apart from being one of the longest sentences in the New Testament, there should definitely be a full stop in there. I'll have to tell Paul that one day. Um, I was like, at the time, I was like, okay, God, what do you want me to take from that? Yeah, that's, that's that's a great verse. What do you want me to take from that? And... God answered me at the time. He said, Michael, these kids that you're working with, you look at them and you see hopelessness. You look at them and you see hopelessness. And then God says, but what's your excuse for feeling hopeless right now? Have you not received the gospel of truth? Have you not placed the gospel of truth in your heart? Do you not have a hope that comes from knowing the grace of God? That's what God was speaking to me through this verse. So, and I don't know if this ever happens to you guys, but God has a tendency of being really blunt sometimes and really stopping you in your tracks when you're having some wrong thinking. That is the Holy Spirit at work. I was challenged. He's like, God's like, do you think that if your role was reversed with their role, so the young person was the person who'd been trained in the ministry, the young person was the one who was raised in a Christian home, do you think they would be as apathetic with ministering hope as you are. That was pretty challenging. I was really challenged. And I was too comfortable in what I knew about God that I felt missed what being a Christian really meant. And that is, we are messengers of hope to the hopeless. We have a message of hope that is needed in the world desperately. We need to be that message of hope at all times. Our family needs to hear the message of hope. When our family members look to us, they need to see that there is hope. Our fellow Christians are going to go through times where they despair, like King David. They need to know that there is a message of hope. So talking to your fellow believers and and giving them the pickup that they need, that word of encouragement, that prayer, that consoling arm on a Sunday morning, that gives the message of hope. That there is a God who wants to give all peace and all joy through believing. Our peers and our colleagues and our friends and the people we study with and we go to school with, they need the message of hope. It's not Pastor David's sole job. Pastor David on a good week with a decent attendance at church is probably going to speak speak into the lives of 150 to 160 people a week. That's it. And that's not having a dig at David. I think that's a fair assessment of how many people he can speak hope into every week. But every one of you will rub shoulders with at least 10 people in your week. That means a 1,000 people could actually be impacted through the message of hope every week. It is not the pastor's job to speak words to everyone. You're going to know people he doesn't know. You're going to meet people he's never going to meet. You are the messenger of hope to that person, to those people. May the God of hope and joy, or hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing. It starts with a belief. 
A belief that we do serve a God who is bigger, who has no rival and no equal to any of the problems we're going to face in life. We serve that God. And that God who has all of that hope is going to give you the joy and the peace when you trust in him. When you yoke your horse to him, that joy and peace will be yours. Now, if you're not experiencing much joy and peace in your life, I suggest you take a good look at what do you believe about Jesus Christ? What do you believe about God the Father? Where does God sit in your priority scale this morning? See, if you were required to give up all of your possessions in your family, would you still count yourself a winner because you still had Christ? Or would you be wailing in despair because all of that's been taken away? That's the challenge I want to leave you with this morning. We're in a very troubled time. We're in uncharted waters. We, most of us in our lifetimes have never seen anything like this. It's not the only crisis God's traversed. God has traversed many crises over the years. Wars, holocausts, depressions, famines, droughts. He is the same then as he is today and as he will be forevermore. Age to age, he stays the same. But does your faith and hope in him stay the same? Because when we change that, when we fix ourselves to these other things, we kind of shorten. And we can't expect to have all joy and all peace if we're going to compromise our in-believing part of that promise. And that's my challenge to you this morning. So I invite the music team to come up as we prepare for our final hymn. And that's one thing I want you to look at this week and going into the other weeks because we are going to continue to have problems put in front of us. We're going to continue to have limitations thrown up. Our expectations are going to go unmet. And at the moment I would say maybe unmet more than they are going to be met. But when you make a conclusion, what is your solution going to be? You know, are you going to fall down to your knees and you're going to fight that battle on your knees praying to the Lord Almighty who has our hope and our source of strength and refuge? Or are you going to fix it to something that doesn't have the track record that God does? The Israelites, they, they hewn out these cisterns and they were, they were rebuked by God for creating these cisterns that were broken and they held no water because they forsook the living water that comes from God. And I don't want you guys to make that same mistake this morning. Where are you relying your hope this morning? Let's close as we sing this next hymn.